G'day guys and welcome to the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today we've got a guest, a guest who's been on quite a lot. Um, it is my friend Sheridan Sky. How are you doing Sheridan? Hey guys, I'm good. Thanks for having me back on Mark. So Sheridan is a great coach. She's a young little super mom who balances out having two little kids and you know being a business owner and she's a business partner with our pre and postnatal training programs and she's also an elite coach online coach um we'll go into that more after but Sheridan do you want to give the audience who don't know you I'm sure most of you guys I hope follow Sheridan and know but Sheridan who are you give the audience something Guys, I wish you could have seen how hard it was for Mark to give me that compliment. Thank you. Oh, I feel I need a shower. <laughs> yes, I am Sheridan. I am a mom of two little girls. So my little Ellie is three and Evie is 18 months. I am an online coach, uh, a registered nurse. And as Mark said, I am a partner with the pre and postnatal series. So, you know, in becoming a mum, I had a lot of questions around how we can train throughout pregnancy and postpartum, given where I, I came from prior to pregnancy, which kind of led me to be, I guess, a, a bit of a pre and postnatal specialist and a women's health specialist. Uh, so, yeah, that's where it's kind of led me to, yeah. Awesome. Are you working more with women of just all training levels and goals at the moment or more just pre and postnatal? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. I I mostly work with mums now, to be fair. I do have clients that aren't mums, but it's it's an interesting question because it's like how do you define pre and postnatal? And it's, you know, I definitely work with the prenatal population and have a lot of clients who are pregnant or trying to become pregnant. And then I have women who are in that early postnatal phase, which is like, you know, maybe up to 12 months postpartum where we're working on rehabilitation, maybe fat loss if that's what they want. But then I have a, a whole range of clients that are well above 12 months postpartum because, you know, if you are a mum, I think you, you can appreciate the fact that priorities change a lot when you do have kids. Uh, time is often a limitation of yours. So I think where I kind of really feel the gap with women who still want to get in really great shape and who are mums is that I also understand the juggle and the constant push and pull between being a mum and wanting to be your best. So I kind of have women gravitate towards me for that reason because they can just resonate. Cool. So obviously Sheridan trains a lot of women just like myself. So this I thought would be a really good episode to get Sheridan on and kind of break down some recent studies and also just kind of get her opinion as a coach, just like myself. We have a lot of experience training with women around menstrual cycle training. So basically training around your period. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that have come out the last few years around menstrual cycle training. So coaches, doing these crazy detailed training programs all around different phases of um, the women's menstrual cycle and basically saying, hey, in this this part of your um, cycle, you should be doing less training. And this part of your cycle, you should be doing more volume because you're stronger and all this stuff. And basically, a lot of it potentially isn't all that 
evidence-based. So it, it, a lot of things sound pretty good in theory and sound smart in theory, but a lot of the times it seems like people kind of clutching at things and just kind of going, I think, in a direction which sounds really smart but actually isn't necessarily backed by all that much science. And recently the research has kind of been confirming more, I guess, my belief, which is I've never strategically planned out someone's training programs around their menstrual cycle. It's never been a, all right, cool. When, when's your period? All right, let's periodize around that. It's definitely never been that. I've never been a believer in that. Um, and working with so many high level women and just, you know, everyday mums as well. It's definitely anecdotally, I'd say, uh, uh, from working uh, seeing seeing so many women is that it really depends on the person you know it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not a blanket approach it's n of one you know everyone's different everyone's and women's different some clients seem to never ever talk about it other clients tell me you know they have their period and they're not feeling necessarily as great but they still had good sessions other women you know have a lot more struggles with it but i think that's normally few and far between so sharon do you want to kind of break down i guess just in a, a really simple, short summary, the whole idea of training around your period and kind of looking at the, the distinct kind of phases during the menstrual cycle, what was the kind of common theme people were pushing? Yeah, for sure. So obviously within the menstrual cycle, there are different phases uh, and the standard slash normal menstrual cycle will uh, go between 21 to 35 days. So there's a broad range of, uh, with each individual woman, which is also a limitation in the research, and we'll, we'll speak about that later. But basically, the the phases are as follows. So after your bleed, so your actual menstruation, it's called the follicular phase. So the follicular phase is the the period between your bleed and when ovulation occurs. And the theory is that in this particular phase, we have a you know the hormone levels are low at the start of the follicular phase. But then as ovulation sort of starts to come closer, we have a surge of estrogen around this period of time um, and progesterone and testosterone remain low. And then when ovulation rolls around, the theory is that we have a peak in testosterone and also estrogen as well. And then as, you know, if ovulation occurs and the woman doesn't fall pregnant, we start to move into the luteal phase, or this is kind of transitioning from um, ovulation. So in the luteal phase, estrogen drops and we see the hormone progesterone start to increase. Um, that, that's if ovulation has occurred, of course. And then we see a small peak of estrogen in the luteal phase, but all in all, estrogen remains relatively low when we compare that to the follicular phase. So the theory is that because of the level of estrogen and testosterone in the late luteal to ovulate, uh, ovulation phase, women are stronger, can tolerate more volume, should push performance then because come the luteal phase, that increase in progesterone can impair their performance and they just don't recover as well and perform as well. So that... You know, if you're kind of telling me that and as, you know, someone learning and going, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. So yeah. therefore that all makes sense. Like I should be then training, training this way. I should be doing less work, 
um, in those certain weeks and doing much more work and pushing things and always striving for PBs. But then those other weeks, I should really regress things because physiologically, my body's basically telling me, no, I'm not in a great place. And then other phases, hey, I'm a weapon. I can go all out and just crush training. But we're not actually seeing that in the research when we're actually, you know, um, looking at things and looking at women's performances um, during different phases. Why do you think that is the case that something that sounds actually really, really on point it may, it, when you're, you're talking about it, it goes, Oh, wow. That, you know, that makes sense, but we're not actually seeing that transfer over into, I guess, real world kind of, um, mm. results or real world kind of performance you know and often you see you know in studies oh well this happened in rats or something but then it didn't happen in humans you know it's different but when it comes to this it's obviously we're talking about humans and it all makes sense physiologically but then it doesn't still doesn't seem to translate over into superior performance and stuff like that if you're doing I guess that really periodized training around the period yeah, it's a great question because it, it, it comes back to that question of like we have mechanistic data, which it all sounds good in theory, but then how does that translate to real-world practical evidence and or application, I should say? And a really great example that I'd like to, you know, I like to use in this case is, you know, the whole insulin is bad and insulin should be avoided at all costs because you can't lose fat if your insulin is high, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this mostly comes from the fact that when insulin is high, it does prevent uh, fat being used as a, a fuel source, so lipolysis, right? So people say, well, if insulin is high, that means you can never lose fat. So while there's like some truth to the theory, when you look at it in as a whole, it's it's about the net positive balance at the end of the day. So what is true mechanistically may not actually be true practically so how this relates to the menstrual cycle is that you know we do have some evidence to support some of these I guess theories around when you should be pushing performance and when you should be backing off and the truth is that when we look at hormones as a whole we know a lot more about testosterone than we do about estrogen and progesterone when we look at progesterone, we have actually very little data to go off. We know a little bit more about estrogen, but one of the, the studies, I guess, that people who are big advocates for this, you know, cycle-based training will quote is a study that was performed in rats, as you said. And I don't want to automatically say that studies performed in animals aren't always helpful in some ways but in this particular study they actually removed the ovaries from the rats to see how that effect affected obviously their estrogen levels and what they did find is that there was an effect on the satellite cells in those rats so that's a very complex discussion in and of itself but if we're affecting satellite cells we are affecting our body's ability to grow muscle or even maintain muscle mass so mechanistically people were like oh well that must mean that estrogen is really anabolic and that must mean that progesterone is really catabolic and that's not exactly true so you know I think it's important to consider if we're 
taking something that could be true and trying to make it more complicated than it needs to be. And there was a, a recent meta, uh, sorry, it was a systematic review that came out and it was like, you know, current evidence shows no influence of uh, women's menstrual cycle on acute strength performance or adaptations to training or exercise. And people were kind of like, oh, okay, well, cool. That means that we don't have to worry about it at all. And then other people were like, oh, well, that's not been my experience. And there's a strong bias toward one or the other. And it's interesting because when you actually look at that that systematic review, it looked at a number of different studies and it, it did conclude that we just don't have enough evidence to not say that this isn't worth considering, but we need to be taking an individualised approach toward each woman and not, as you said, automatically assume that because she is a particular sex that we should be changing her training um, at specific phases of the cycle. I guess my kind of thought processes around the whole concept of, you know, telling people, hey, you're, you're going to be stronger here and telling people, hey, you're going to be weaker here. I know as a guy, women are going to be like, oh, shut up, Mark. <laughs> but. How are, you, how are your ovaries? Well, where do I begin? <laughs> but I also do believe that from a, just a psychological standpoint, right, if you tell someone they're going to be something, you know, you got that placebo. If you say, hey, you know, you're going to be way stronger here, I think psychologically mm. that's obviously a good thing. You can, you know, get that placebo effect. Like, oh, wow, I'm going to have a great session because I know that right now I'm I'm going to be stronger and you're being told that, right? But likewise, on the opposite end, if you're telling people, hey, you're going to be much weaker here and stuff like that, I think that could also have an effect psychologically on performance. And the thing is, right, and this is something I talk to Lauren, my girlfriend, about a lot, is that, for example, when she was competing um in you know bikini when she became world bikini champion as well as when she was competing in powerlifting when she hit one rep maxes both times that um she was competing when she won the world bikini championship it was just the the one or two days leading up to her period so obviously that wasn't a, the the best feeling mm. you know she was more bloated and stuff like that and you know leading into the period often time where you don't feel that great but you know that's a time i know a lot of competitors freak out and all that stuff like oh man like if, if i if it, that that my my comp falls on that day it's the end of the world you know and so you can't really time these things in you know life events like you, you know you can't time comps you can't time these things all that well you know they're on when they're on and your cycle happens when your cycle happens and likewise when she competed in her powerlifting comp and hit one rep maxes and stuff like that it was i think the i think the first day of a period and stuff like that point is is that if you're used to kind of being told as well that hey this, this period you're going to be way weaker and your training is drastically changed which i've seen you know drastically different training volumes and all that stuff and people being told hey i really need to lower my rpe this week and stuff like that but then all of a sudden your powerlifting meet or your comp or your sporting athletic event 
falls around that that time, I just psychologically think you're so preconditioned to kind of being told, hey, you're not going to perform all that well. And now you actually have to perform mm-hmm. on that day and you can't change things. This is the day that you have to go. This is the day you have to shoot for your absolute best. But if you spent the previous six months working with a coach telling you, hey, this is when you're not going to be great, I just think psychologically that's also kind of just really drilling in that idea that, hey, I'm not going to be the best right now um, when you actually really need to be. Mm, yeah, for sure. And and there's there's a lot of research that actually, you know, shows mm, sure. the effect that Shut up, that's what Sharon is thinking. <laughs> no, it's true. There's, there is research that shows like, you know, placebo is a you know has a real effect on the way that people perceive things and that the way that that they perform right and I think that it's you know going back to that sort of mechanistic uh comment that you made before Mark it's like you know when we go back to that study with the rats and the fact that they removed um their ovaries what's going to happen when you remove the ovaries of you know um an animal or you or, or a woman right there's going to be a really drastic rapid change in their hormones so when we look at the menstrual cycle right it's that's that's not replicated in a woman's normal menstrual cycle yes there are highs and lows of certain hormones but it's not these rapid decreases of you know completely plummeting those hormones that we experience within our cycle and even as they're changing it's it's for a few days at, at the very most. So, you know, when we like look at the the systematic review that a lot of people were, you know, I kind of saw a lot of people posting about this on social media and they were, they were quite annoyed at it, right? And I think that it kind of shows their bias toward the, the actual topic at hand because the systematic review was actually conducted because we know that there's like a... Um, like there's just not an even number of studies that are done on women compared to that of men. We know that there's a discrepancy there in in sports research at least. And that is literally because when researchers Do you just um just for the audience though, I just think this is also important. Do you want to explain what a systematic review is as well? Yeah. Because that's I think really important um for people to understand as well. Yeah, for sure. So when we look at research, you know, I can I can decide that I want to go and research something. I can come up with my study design and I can go and say, cool, this is what I'm studying. This was how I did it. This was the result of it. And it's one study. And that's why we can't jump, jump up and down at one study because when we're making informed decisions from an evidence-based perspective, it's not about one study. It's about looking at the body of evidence that we have available to us to make um, a consensus. So when we're looking at, you know, like a systematic review or even a, a meta-analysis, it's like a study of studies. It's not coming out to say, I want to decide whether or not the menstrual cycle has an effect on performance. It's saying, hey, let's go and pull all of these studies that have researched this. Let's look at the limitations of the study. Let's look at how well it was designed. Let's look at the conclusion of the study. And then we come to a uh, consensus at the end of, of the review. So it's it's not just looking at one study. It's looking at many studies and helping those studies to guide us in how we make decisions around these sorts of topics. Exactly. So it's, I think the benefit of that, because I saw... I saw the coach who posted the study a lot of 
a lot the main coach I think who I saw and people shared myself included um was a guy Menno Hensemann um who posted mm. study and then a lot of the comments from women were like how dare you you're a guy you don't understand women mm. um, and all that stuff but then he was quick to point out that he didn't do the study it was actually it was actually led by I think a, a female um, mm. rev- um who reviewed the study or put the study together so it wasn't like a I think often when, you know, we do these different things between different sexes and if, if a guy puts out something, often women mm. get angry and say, you don't understand the stuff. But it was also important, to, I just think, to clarify that it was um, female-led um, mm. from all accounts. And that that's something I, I just see a lot of times people get angry saying, you know, guys have kind of pushed in a narrative, but I think that's also important to um, clarify. Mm. Now, I actually... And on this whole topic, right, so I don't want people, women listening to be like, oh, my God, like I I have such a hard time around training around my period. I feel terrible. These people are just trying to devalue my feelings, my pain, because I feel so terrible. Um, Like, you know, like here I know how I feel. You know, I I feel bad at times and sometimes it's debilitating. I can't train. So I don't Mm -hmm. want you guys to feel like I'm saying, no, don't do that. It's more so about the study, show, uh, study showing and what I also um, have found um, anecdotally is that it really does vary from woman to woman. And that's my whole point is that when coaches have a fixed kind of strategy of their periodizing of their training around the menstrual cycle, for every woman, it doesn't make much sense because every woman is vastly different. No one is always just going to have the exact same experiences. So I actually did a poll right? So I did a poll to my audience. My audience is obviously heavily female on social media. And I did this poll because I had my thoughts around, you know, the, how women feel around their period. And I wanted to actually then survey my audience and actually get their opinions. Because again, as a coach, as a guy, I get that feedback from women and a lot of it's, you know, anecdote, but working with a lot of people, you get feedback. You So you, you start to formulate somewhat of a, a picture in your mind. And so I wanted to ask my audience, how much does what I think actually seem to relate back to, you know, my audience? And so I asked my audience, I said, how much does your period impact your training? Whether, you know, pre, pre, few days going into your period or during your period so pretty simple how much does it impact your training and i had a few different options i had zero i train exactly the same i had a little i feel a bit uncomfortable but i'm able to still train hard then i also had a lot my sessions are totally different and then finally i had the option of hugely i'm often totally unable to train okay so four really kind of distinct potential answers of ranging from it does not impact me at all to impacts me a little bit to almost I can't train around it. And so the answers kind of fell on to where I thought from my experiences. So the top ranked one at 43% was my period impacts me a little. I feel a little bit uncomfortable. So 43% of women, our largest one was that, yes, I, 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 I notice a little bit, I feel a little bit uncomfortable, 
So that was 43%. Our next largest one was 32%. And that was zero. I trained the exact same way. And I found that really interesting. So there we have 75% of women basically feel zero to only a tiny bit of discomfort around their period, which is, mm-hmm. I found really interesting. So 75% of the my, my female audience. So this is why, again, if you're making drastic changes around women's periods, but imagine if 70, 75% of your female clients didn't feel like they needed changes and you're making all these totally um, large changes, that again, it comes back to that N of one. Like, what are you programmed to the individual or are you programming to an idea? But this is where, though, again, as I said, it's individualized because 17% of women said a lot. My sessions are totally different. So it really impacts their sessions. And then finally, 8% of women say hugely, I'm often unable to train. So 75% of women basically in my poll felt zero, zero issues or very, very minimal. 25% had a lot of problems with their training and 8% of those, that 25% felt absolutely terrible where they could barely train. And this is why, again, seeing that kind of state people saying, oh, see, ladies, just toughen up, just, just train hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not also probably factual because it's different. People's experiences are different and, that's why, again, you you want to be trying to program to your individual client. Every woman is different. Their um, how they feel during that time can be largely different from um, my experiences. I'm sure, probably from Sharon's experiences, and that's where I'd also ask you, Sheridan, on that is is it a matter as well? Like, obviously, you got 75 percent of women saying they're mostly pretty fine, but. Is the other stages though? Sometimes, some periods, maybe every third or fourth one, you do feel worse. You feel, do feel different. Because mm-hmm. um, having dated girls mm-hmm. in the past, I felt like that's the same. Like I know Lauren recently has had a bit more, a fair bit more period pain recently for whatever reason, and it's been a bit more of an issue for her with training and stuff like that. So, do you find as well like it can just like most things in life, you have periods where it's much more manageable than other other times it can be more painful yeah for sure um i I i'm going to answer that but i do want to address what you mentioned about the systematic review being that it was led by men because there was actually four authors and three of those were women one of them was a male and when you actually read the systematic review what they were trying to find is that because we have a disparagement in the amount of women that we study the reason that we do have that is because we think that the menstrual cycle plays an effect on certain things. So women are automatically excluded in many of these studies or they're approached very carefully. So, you know, when we're looking at the people who advocate for this type of cycle-based training, it, it is this is for helpful for women because if we can determine whether or not it does affect our performance or not, it changes the way women are included in studies. And I just feel like that's a really important thing to to bring forward. This is a good thing for women. Um, But to answer your question, Mark, yes, absolutely. And that's what's really interesting about it because I remember when you put up that poll, what my response was, I can't train. Like that first one or two days when I get uh, my period, I can't train. And that's changed since I've had kids. And women who have had, um, you know, birth children, 
can experience an increase in uh, menstrual pain. So not only can it change from period to period or cycle to cycle, I should say, it changes throughout your lifespan. And that's where you kind of have to put, you know, your critical thinking hat on and think, well, everything that we see in these studies is looking at the changes in hormones across the cycle. But when you think about what occurs during menstruation, women have a big increase in something called prostaglandins, which isn't a hormone, but it helps shed that lining of the uterus. And that's what causes the like the uh, menstrual type cramps. Uh, it can also affect her GI, so um, you know her her bowel uh, motions and bowel habits. So to answer your question, yes, it can change from cycle to cycle and also throughout your lifespan as well. So that's why I've always kind of felt I've I've been a big fan of kind of more that auto-regulation um, approach. So auto-regulation is more so seeing how you feel on the day. Like you have a structured training program, right? But if you're not feeling great for whatever reason, and again, it doesn't have to be your period. It might mean you've just had a breakup and you're so stressed and you've had no sleep and you're not up to the same amount of volume, mm. you might then decrease your training volume, lower the RPE so you don't take sets to failure and just get in and get out and get something done. And that's how I've always tried to approach kind of training for my clients around many things, but also um, when my clients are not feeling the best um, around their period. And I think the reason why I like that approach is because then you allow someone to, if they're feeling good, just to keep going, Mm. not decreasing things just because potentially there could be an issue where they don't feel that great or allowing someone to hey have the have the tools to make changes on the day if needed and i think that gives you more options it's kind of like a you know if you have a fixed meal plan but then you don't know how to you know make changes on the fly and stuff like that it's like if you have the the tools to or understanding of how to stick to the plan but hey it's okay as well today if things are not feeling great or hey, I feel a lot of um, pain in my lower belly today. Maybe let's not do, you know, heavy hip thrusts um, across, uh, um, or something like that. So it's just kind of making changes. So I guess, Sheridan, what would be some, I guess, simple ways to, I guess, auto-regulate to you for when a woman is not um, feeling the best in if they're in that category of that 25% of I'm feeling a whole lot of discomfort. Like, how would you kind of combat that? Do you still get them into the gym? Do you say, hey, maybe have a couple of days off? Like, how would you go about that? Mm, yeah, good question. It comes yeah. back to what you said. Yeah. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> You're welcome, Mark. Um, yeah, it, it goes back to what you said about auto-regulation and, you know, RPE, rate of perceived exhaustion. It means that there will be factors in your life where some days you feel like you're killing it and menstrual cycle aside, like as a male as well, Mark, I'm sure that there are days that you go into the gym and you feel like you're killing it. There are other days where you feel shit, you haven't had enough sleep, but like you said, you're stressed or you're injured or whatever that may be. It's about trusting yourself enough to know when you feel like you're able to push performance and follow your own direction. If you feel like shit, then don't go and train. And one of the things that I do with women who, and myself, who really do struggle that one to two days when they get their their period is 
how about instead of moving, you know, one, we either take a rest day and then we try and change your training days uh, across the week instead of training Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, if we're on a four-day split. Let's just train, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest day, Thursday, have Friday, Saturday as a training day. Or if you're feeling like you're not, you, you know, you're like, I, I could probably get to the gym, but I'm probably not pushing performance. You know, swap for one of your training sessions that are less physically demanding. So maybe like an upper body day as compared to a, a, a heavy lower body day. And just remember that RPE is there for a reason and you won't always feel exactly the same in every single training session. So individualized approach is is what we should do here as well. Yeah, I love that. I think for me, you know, how, how I talk to clients, I always working online with people, I always kind of like to see when I work work with someone, how they talk to me about it, you know. So I, I try not to kind of go in with a, hey, this is how we do it. I always kind of like to see, well, just how, how how's my client bringing up? How, how do they go about it? So I'm always first like to see how that actual client experiences it. So it's, it's always quite interesting. Um, and even in my initial consult, women, some women mention, hey, I often have really, really hard times around my period. So I know that in advance. But then other women, again, I'm training and they'll never mention it. Or the only time they mention it is, hey, Mark, the scale might be up a little bit, but training was great this week um, just because I feel more bloated and stuff like that. So I guess my my personal kind of take-home points for everyone listening as a, from a coaching standpoint, not from a woman's standpoint, but as a coaching standpoint, um, would be to try to individualize your training approach always to the client because we see in the research and again my little poll of just even talking to my audience it just differs so much from woman to woman so having this blanket approach of hey everyone every female you have to do this every single um set week specific to your menstrual cycle probably is not the best um approach try and personalize things try to understand your own client because they're all different. It's just like everyone has different training goals. Everyone has different kind of macro preferences. And same thing, physiologically, we're not all identical all the time in um, how we respond to different things and have that ability to auto-regulate. And and I, I think the other thing is I saw on that study, though, I saw lots of guys <laughs> Going home and be like, oh, see, stop, you know, stop being soft and stuff like that. And that's the wrong approach mm. as well. It's no, yeah. that's not understanding either. The whole point is, is that it's different. So be a coach that listens to your client. If they're not feeling good and be receptive of that, don't then dismiss it and go, well, the large majority of women feel fine. Well, that's not your client. Everyone is different. And so try not to be that kind of blanket approach and just kind of take everything from what one client experiences over to the next client. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the only thing that I want to finish on as well, Mark, is like I think particularly the more knowledge that we get around the menstrual cycle, people take a little bit of kind of like what I said at the start of the podcast, something that's a little bit true and they just apply it like it's black and white. And the reason that this is important is because cycle to cycle, woman to woman, the duration of those hormones that we spoke about and those phases that we spoke about at the start of the podcast change. So coaches are assuming, okay, well, all women have a 28-day cycle when a normal cycle is anywhere between 21 to 35 days. 
women ovulate at different times during their cycle. Sometimes it's very consistent. Some women ovulate for a few days. Some women ovulate for only a few hours. So it's it's kind of realizing that you actually have less control over the variables than you actually think. And a lot of women will assume that they're ovulating. There's there's a number of things that they can look at, but one of the main things that they look at is basal metabolic temperature. So, um, you know, wearing, I've got an aura ring, that's what they'll kind of go off. But that's influenced by a lot of things. So it might be increased, you think you're ovulating, but you actually just had a shit night's sleep or you're stressed or whatever. So the point is that even though you think you ovulate at certain periods of the month you may not be so automatically assuming yep i'm good here and assuming that you're not good there might actually be going against your physiology as well so that's also why an, an individualized approach is really really important perfect so i i think this podcast should hopefully give a lot of you a bit more clarity around this because it is something i'm sure sheridan gets a lot i get a lot um, yeah, so many questions on it. Um, when you have a heavily um, um, based audience, which is women over men, naturally you're going to get this. And I think there there is a lot of, I guess, you know, peoples with big thoughts and stuff like that around it. So sometimes you can sim- simplify the message and just kind of keep it at a basic level and, you know, understand how do you feel and stuff like that over just, you know, what everyone else is doing can also matter. Um, so with that, guys, I hope this episode was really useful. Um, Sheridan, do you want to give everyone a bit of a rundown where they can find you and what you are doing at the moment? Yes. So uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. So Sheridan Sky Fit. Uh, I do try and do TikTok, but I'm not very good at it. Uh, and I yeah, so I'm one-on-one coach, but I've recently joined Team BioLane as their pre and postnatal specialist. So I'll be coaching through Team BioLane, and you can apply either through my Instagram or through their website www.biolane.com. Um, and the funny thing, Mark, when when I announced that I went over to Team BioLane. Do you know how many messages I had that were, it was like, are you fighting with Mark? Is everything okay? What happened with Mark? <laughs> I was like, he fired me. She broke up with me. <laughs> she broke up with our friendship. <laughs> and everyone just assumed that we, we'd had this big fight. So We did. I, <laughs> she she beat me up as usual, <laughs> verbally, mentally. Standard sharing sky. Um, Mark only sticks around because he's scared. Literally. Um, also, Sheridan, do you want to tell the audience something else you've been doing recently? <laughs> yes. You know. How good am I at marketing myself? Um, so I have a podcast called the Female Fitness Formula Podcast. So Mark actually convinced me to do this podcast after calling me a pussy for a good couple of months. And I started it and actually it's it's been doing really well. I've hit top 10 with every podcast that I have released in in at least Australia, which is pretty good. So um, if you guys are, you know, mostly mums who follow me, if you're cooking for the kids, you're taking them out for a walk in a pram, just chuck your headphones on, have a bit of a listen. And if there's any topics that you want to hear, then, yeah, just shoot me a message on Instagram. Was um the episode I did with you really popular, Sheridan? remember that episode i did with you for an hour 
I don't I don't remember that going. I don't I I don't remember seeing that. Because my fucking gamer's headphones weren't working. So Sharon asked me to come on her podcast and I was like, of course, I'll I'll do it for you, you know. And then I go on a podcast and then like two days later I'm like, when's it coming out? And it never came out. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Amateur hour. I know I've gotten so much better since then though. So maybe you'll come back one day or I'll have to bribe you. One day. One day. You only get one shot with Mark Carr, right? <laughs> um, all right, guys. With that, um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please, as always, share to your audience. You know, when when you enjoy an episode and you find it useful, please share. It helps so much and also gets, you know, what we think is quality education out to the world, which I think the fitness industry severely needs some good education to continually push be pushed out against all the crap out there. And also please follow the podcast, um, leave a five-star rating if you haven't. I know I ask all the time, but please do. And yes, make sure you follow Sheridan on Instagram as well and go check out her podcast. And Sheridan, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. See ya.